Okay, next are you ready? Anytime. Welcome to another episode of TNT Weekly here. We're at the beautiful Queen's Hotel in Thornton, Ontario, and I have a great guest with me today. But listen, if you're checking out the podcast or any other of my podcasts on YouTube, please subscribe. Press that button down below. Like. <laughs> it's over there somewhere. Give me a, give me a hand on that. That would be great. Um, but man, on the show here, I met Nick when I came in Alliston about 10, 11 years ago. And uh, this guy flies under the radar with so many hats, I tell you. It's incredible where this guy's been around. And, uh, you know, if we don't go on for more than an hour, then this, I'll be surprised because this guy's got so much on his resume. Really happy to have on the show Nick Pulagas. Hey, 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 Antonio Banderas. How you doing? <laughs> Good next door, doing great, man. Listen, yeah, it's, it's been a while. How yeah. long has it been? I don't know. We used to do that lunch thing where, you know, some of the people of Farm yeah. House and we'd get together at yeah. Thera, sit yeah. down, yeah. have a good, I know that. Uh, uh, bunch of giggles, basically. So it's been a few years, at least. I think COVID kiboshed that. Yeah. yeah. What have do- you been doing? How's it been like for you? Like- well, you know, um, not as good as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Well, not that I thought it would be. I don't think it would be good for anybody. But, yeah, I did lose a lot of... Uh, a lot of work, a lot of gigs last year because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Why don't you tell the audience what you do now? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Which is a lot. <laughs> that's, that's the toughest question, you know, because when people ask me, what do you do? I don't know. I'm a bit of a hybrid because I'm kind of like I've done everything and uh, there's really not anything that I won't try. So when everybody says, can you do this? It's always, Yeah. And then I'm going to try and figure it out. So uh, lately, uh, I'm still in production. I think a lot of my world has been around my loves, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started off wanting, I guess, as a youngster, wanting to be an athlete. And then from being an athlete, I wanted to be a musician. And then from being a musician, I wanted to be a cinematographer. So I went to school at Seneca. I got my radio, television, broadcasting yeah. kit. And then um, nothing came of it. So what I ended up happening, uh, I, I took some temp jobs just to, you know, yeah. pay the bills and and concentrate on, uh, I guess I was a drummer, so I was concentrating on the music scene. And then what ended up happening, I got a job at Etobicoke General Hospital in shipping and receiving. Just like, you know, a, 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 an everyday type job. I think I started at three dollars and twenty cents an hour uh-huh. and worked my way up to seven fifty an hour. And I thought, ooh, I'm wow. making it now. Uh, this is great. So I was looking after all the inventory and everything coming in and stuff. Yeah. So what ended up happening is a few doctors heard that I was starting up a video production company. Me and a fellow friend of mine uh, from Seneca College, Mark Mojo Morrison. Mojo Morrison. <laughs> Mojo and I, we're a great tag team. I've got a million stories with Mojo. <laughs> so anyway, Mojo and I started Visual Images, uh, which was a video production company in 82, where we were trying to convince people that having a video wedding was a good idea. Back in 82, that's like VHS beta days. It's like science back then. <laughs> well, it was ridiculous. Like, you know, the, the size of the equipment, so you, you were tethered with a line and everything yeah. else. So some of the doctors heard that I had started a production company. And one of them in particular, uh, Dr. Drever, he invented a breast reconstruction technique and he wanted me to start 
videotaping them so he can have it in his office to show some of his patients what what they do. Right. And I said, listen, this is VHS. You can't put it on a screen larger than an 18, 19-inch TV tops. And if it's just going into your office, fine. That's great. It'll yeah. work perfect. So every Friday for about two months, I would go in there with my camera, scrub down and everything, and start videotaping these operations. Mm -hmm. And then oh. come coming back home and then editing them. And then when I found that the editing part is when I started getting queasy. When I was shooting, I was fine because everything was, am I in focus? Do I have the shot in frame? And then hearing the doctor say, oh, can you move your camera over here? Because I had brought a monitor in. And these doctors weren't used to seeing a monitor of what the other doctor was doing. So, <laughs> so while I'm, one doctor's working on one part, the other one's at the other side. And the doctor, Drever's there talking, oh, can you show me what he's doing? So I tilt the camera one way, and there he's watching. So here he is. He's operating, watching the TV screen. I go, this guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it went from... Uh, doing video productions with uh, the doctors and stuff. And after about four or five years, Mojo ended up getting a gig with uh, CTV and, CB and uh, CFTO. Mm -hmm. And they were doing a daytime talk show, and it was called Contact. And I came on as a cameraman. I remember that. Yeah, yeah it was on for about a season or two. Yeah. And it was like a daytime, nice uh, afternoon, hosted by Debbie Van Kiekebelt. Mm -hmm. Which is another thing that I wanted to get to <laughs> talk to you about. There's a thing that has happened with me, and I've started to realize that when I think of something, it eventually happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I remember as a kid in, in 76, the Montreal Olympics, and Debbie Van Kiekebelt was one of the uh, you know, participants for Canada. And I thought, oh, oh you know. I was, what, 15 years old, 16? I go, oh, I got the hots for her. <laughs> Next thing you know, you know, some five, eight, ten years later, I'm now a cameraman, and who do I get to see every day but Debbie Van Kiekebelt. I have her on. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going, that's weird. I thought about that. And then in 67, my dad took me to a hockey game with Maple Leaf Gardens, and it was the Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks. And Bobby Hall had come down. He took a slap shot. It got deflected and went up to the end zone. And back then, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens had a picture of the queen at the end blues. Mm -hmm. And above that was these, I guess, a, a sort of neon-style ticker tape. Oh, geez, sorry. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> watch the hands start moving because the, the, this is the drummer in me coming. Greek, <laughs> Greek and drumming. <laughs> and drumming, yeah. Hello, how's it going? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm breaking everything down. <laughs> so anyway, the puck went up there, and uh, all of a sudden, whoever was running the scoreboard or running the ticker yeah. wrote a thing on there and said, Mr. Hall, you just missed me. I looked at my dad and go, that thing can talk? And little do I know, like some almost 20 years later, I'm the guy at Maple Leaf Gardens doing that same sort of thing. That's so cool. You know, and, yeah. and then even uh, just the people that you meet. So this show Contact was excellent for me and a good name because of all the people that worked on it, we've stayed in contact. Mm -hmm. And through that, uh, the I think she was the producer, uh, Joanne Jackson. She ended up being a producer at uh, YTV when YTV opened. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was going through a whole bunch of different jobs, doing construction, uh, as a garbage man. And uh, so it was Labor Day that year, 88, I believe it was. 
And I heard that YTV was opening and that some of the people that I worked on contact were there as well. So I just gave them a call and they go, where the hell were you? I go, what do you mean? We've been looking for it. You start tomorrow. I go, great. So I get down there and I'm a cameraman now at YTV their first year working out of a little tiny closet. And the audio fellow there, a fellow named Rick Penn, Mm -hmm. ended up in 89 getting the job at Skydome. So Rick, being the audio fellow, knew that I also liked the Blue Jays quite a bit. And the very first game at Skydome, exactly. For a reason, I'm wondering this today. (laughs) So for the first game at Skydome, June 6, 89, remember it well, I bought a scalper's ticket. And me and my buddy Gavin went. And I ended up sitting right next to the Jumbotron in the highest seat ever. And I'm looking around going, this place is great. I'm going to be coming to a few more games for sure. Yeah. And literally that night I got home and in the morning there was a phone call from Rick who asked me if I wanted to help him down at Skydome with the game. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, well, I need an audio assist. I need somebody to run the microphone out for the amp. I go, yeah, I think I could do that. That's crazy. And I go, so here in the second day of Skydome's opening, the second Blue Jay game there, and then you got to remember, Skydome, when it was built, it was the talk of the town. And we got people. Here I am standing waiting to run the microphone out for the anthem. And I'm in the dugout with all these players. And I think it was Milwaukee was there the first series. So I'm actually standing next to Paul Molitor, and we're, like, watching the, the roof open. He goes, wow. He goes, how, how long does it take? He's at, they're asking me questions. I'm going, oh, buddy, I just started. <laughs> it takes about 20 minutes, you know, give or take a good wind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I sat and I thought, okay, this, this shouldn't be a problem. Will you try walking up into a field with 52,000 people staring at you? You're the only guy on the field at that time. Try not tripping. Try not to feel like an idiot oh, when you yeah. get out there. So, you know, you run the microphone out, you put it down behind the mound and everything, you got it all Well, back then, too, Skydome Secret, better not let this out, but I'll let it out anyway. Most of the anthems back then were pre-taped. So we would have the, the tape ready to go. So we wouldn't mic the, the microphone. We wouldn't put a cable on the mic. So you would have basically a microphone on a stand but with no cable. So the first few games when TSN was coming in close with a close-up of the anthem singer, you didn't see any cable. So the, so the anthem singer was taped as well? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, most of the time. Sometimes they went live. Yeah. Uh, and when they went live, you could tell because there would be a different microphone on the stand. But when we had the one dummy, that works. Yeah. When we had, wait a minute, I'll get to that one too. But when we have a dummy mic on there, when TSN was coming in close for the close-ups, you could see it wasn't plugged in. They go, guys, you got to do something about that. So the next game, I grabbed the paper clip, I extended it, got some gaffer tape, wrapped it out, and tied it to the end and made it look like an antenna. <laughs> the wireless. And I could see audio guys from around the world going, now, where did they get that unit from? I haven't seen that antenna before. But then there was a time when uh, we had an anthem singer, uh, Maureen Forrester, a famous Canadian singer, opera singer, what have you. And um, she was singing it live, so I ran out there. Now, I triple and quadruple check the live, the wireless mic when we're out there. I look and I go on, on. Make sure on, on. Green lights are not good. Got the walkie. Okay, Rick, she's good to go. And I go running back to the dugout waiting for the anthem to start. 
Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for more room parts they're singing the national anthem. And everyone's going, you forgot to turn the mic on. You forgot to turn oh. the mic on. And the players are looking at me like, and now I'm turning like 42 shades of red. Like people are bringing out barbecue sticks, you know, <laughs> roasting marshmallows <laughs> off my face. <laughs> and I'm on the walk. You go, Rick, what's going on? He goes, I can hear her here, but I, she's not going out to the stadium. And he goes, oh, crap, I, I forgot to solo it. So he hits a solo button, and boom, she gets out there. I'm going, oh, man, thank God. I did not want to do oh, the roadie crawl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right back up. So uh, I go, well, she's done. She walks. I run out. I grab the microphone. I come back. And now our booth was on the third level. So as I'm walking around, I get into the elevator. The elevator door opens. And here I am standing with the microphone. Who's in the elevator? Maureen Forrester. <laughs> and I go, caught redhead and I'm and I apologize. I go, listen, I'm very, very sorry. Uh so on and so forth for it that she turns and she goes, Ah, screw it. And she goes, that shit happens all the time. Don't worry about it, kid. <laughs> so I go, what a cigar lady? <laughs> she she tried it. Right. <laughs> and you moved up the ranks really quickly. Like, yeah, well, like yeah. for your dreams and 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 what and you're, you're inspired with, it's amazing. Well, think about it. Like, yeah. this was my ideal job. I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted, to, uh, I was a musician mm -hmm. and it's sports and production. Yeah. So all three of these disciplines that I, that are me yeah. just came up. And what ended up happening just by chance, Rick ended up getting more commercial work. So he said, listen, I'm going to train you on the board, get you up here. So I learned how to mix and everything else. And then all of a sudden, you're the music guy. Not yet, though. That With the Blue Jays, not yet, because the Blue Jays still had the people from Exhibition Stadium because the move was halfway through the season. So uh, Lowry Piano Group were still doing the, okay. the thing. So uh, they had three people that would come in. One would be John Lowry, who was a guitar player, and he would bring his guitar in, and he would play guitar between inning breaks at times. He was a great guy. But what had happened was the Argos didn't have anybody to do audio. And uh, Sky Dome said to me, you want to do it? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, we're pre-computer days here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. We've got three CD players. We've got cart machines. And they're like eight tracks for right, people right. who want to uh, try and get a visualization. But like, we have cart machines. And on the cart machines, we could record messages, commercials, what have you. So I started thinking – Argo game. I used to have Argo season tickets. I was a fan. I, I was right into it. And I thought, okay, we need it to be more aggressive. We need the music to be really coming at you. And I just started developing a bit of a style. I started thinking, if we score a touchdown, what should we hear? If we do this, what should we hear? Mm -hmm. So in my head, I've already heard the game of what I want to put out there. And we were getting some great comments. We, I was getting... Letters to the editor in newspapers, letters coming to me, uh, going, wow, Max Webster, Boston, Rush, ACDC, the games are great. And, I, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is what I would want to hear at a football game. Yeah. Baseball was completely different. So <laughs> come around now to 1990, and Lowry didn't have the contract anymore, so Skydome was looking after it. 
So Skydome and the Blue Jays were two different uh, entities at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so because Skydome was looking after the Jumbotron and me being a part of it, that's how we ended up doing all the ball games. So that first game in 1990, here's Rick. We, gee, I'm, I'm knocking everything over here. Rick's got, uh, near the end of 89, we signed up a deal with Roland Keyboards. Um, so we asked Roland, we have this keyboard, we have this unit uh, that would go, a little computerized unit that would go with it, could hold 16 megabytes, which was 12 floppy disks of sound. Three minutes of sound. Like I get email messages larger than that now. So we and, and it was like fifteen thousand dollars for this unit, and then the actual keyboard itself. So I said, "Listen, uh, why don't we just put your name up at the end of the game, saying keyboards provided by Rolling Keyboards, and for promotional consideration, <laughs> you yeah. give us this product?" And they were like all gun ho, and I said, "Oh, great." So Rick took it home during the offseason. Now, the first game in 1990, we had Prime Minister Mulroney and George W. Bush, the older Bush. I can't remember which Bush it is, but it was the oldest one. So the two of them were there to throw out the first pitch. Well, because they were sitting in the skybox right above us, we had to get RCMP clearance. And during the game or during that part, there's sniffing dogs there. There's uh, you know, CIA, SS, FBI guys all standing around. And had one guy, and Rick's not there yet. So Rick hasn't shown up with the keyboard or anything. So I'm sitting there, I'm still mixing. So uh, the SS guy goes, or <laughs> CIA guy, he goes, uh, listen, when Bush goes up, there's going to be a lot of booing. His favorite song is Center Field by John Fogarty. You've got to crank it they're up. Telling you, they're telling you that? Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, and, I, and I'm going, yeah, I got it. And they go, okay. When he gets out there, play it as loud as you can. I'm going, okay. Wash out the booing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he gets out there. You hear the guy, and the guys are going, louder, louder. So now I floor it on the, on the mixing board, and he goes, even louder. Well, now we have this rack that's on the side, and right on the bottom, there's this big dial. It's about this big that controls all the amps in the stadium. There's 150 amplifiers in four different amp rooms in Skyville. So by just touching this a hair, just brings the volume from here to here, like really, really quickly. So I'm going, this guy's really ticking me off right now. I'm going, really? You want to play that game? Fine. So I started grabbing it, and I started turning it down. I go, how about now? He goes, no, louder. And I keep turning it down, down again, quieter and quieter. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's all done now. So I just brought it right back to where it was, right. and we continued. Now they left, and I'm going, where's Rick? And all the second inning comes along, and Rick comes in with the keyboard. And he slaps it down behind me. He goes, okay, play. And I'm looking at him, and I said, what, what part of drummer do you understand? This is a keyboard. How do you play? I, I go, find me the drums on here. So I'm going to go, boom, boom, Okay, good. Let's go. And now I'm behind the mixing board, pretty much in the, <laughs> in the hallway, nowhere near the game itself. But the first few days at Skydome, all you heard was, <laughs> and I'm going, that's, that's they're your doing drum. it. That's they're doing it. <laughs> and I'm going to start getting into it a little bit more and more. So every day I would learn a new song. 
if you're happy and you know, clap your hands. My kids had a little Casio keyboard. I bought a little kid's songbook and I'd come into the dome and I'd write down the, the, the keys on, uh, on the keyboard. Oh man, they're doing it. I can't believe it. And here I am thinking, I can make a, a grave mistake. I, I could hit a bum note at any time. And if I do it right, they're going to think I did it on purpose. <laughs> and they did. And yeah. people would laugh and goof off. But then I started developing a bit of a style. I wanted to have early warning detection uh, sounds because when there was a foul ball at Skydome, a lot of people weren't there watching the game. They were there watching everything else but the game. So I thought I better alert them one way or another. So being a, a cartoon aficionado, <laughs> I ended up getting the Hanna-Barbera and the Warner Brothers sound effect libraries. So you would hear like yeah. that, like that wily e. coyote. Right, right, right. And then as it hit the ground, you hear splat. So I reprogrammed the keyboard so all the black keys were incoming sound effects and the white keys were impact. So I didn't really have to watch the game. All I have to hear is, oh, <coughs> the broken glass. Yeah. And then they were, oh, you're the guy that breaks the glass at Skydome? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's me. I'm going, but you're Greek too. You're Greek too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. But the fun, yeah, smash a plate. <laughs> but the funny thing was, I'm going, breaking glass at Skydome. Isn't that funny? The place is built with cement. <laughs> Not the most acoustically friendly place, which I was told. Through the hotel so rooms, I think. Through the uh, hotel room windows. I got a good one for you with the hotel. Okay, uh, now everybody remembers or that. Yeah, the, the, the incident. The incident there. Yes. It was many incidences there, but that was the only one that really caught the headlines of everybody. Pornography on the field. Well, Off the field. I don't know. I think some guy was like stealing home. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he rounded first base. He got to second. He's a, but the funny thing was the first people that did it thought it was a one-way glass so they could see out but nobody could see in. They thought that. They thought that. Little did they know. That was their excuse, I think. Oh, and, and lawyers. And from where we were, like our vantage point, we're right behind home plate, but on the 300 level, you could see into every room. Yeah, I remember that. Now, Murray, our PA announcer, the great Murray Elliott, brought a pair of binoculars. So he would be scanning all the time, like to see if anything was happening. Well, it got to a point where we had to ask the Skydome maintenance crew to go up there and put numbers underneath each window so that when Murray was scanning and if he ever caught anything, all he had to do was call out a number. And they'd know what room. And we would know where to look. Did they not pan out the, the cameras? Would the cameras not at one time pick out the windows and put them on the jumbotron? Even <laughs> yeah. when... We we have a we have so a, somebody actually doing something. Well, we have a reel. We have there's there's an outtake reel, that blooper reel that you know it's every stadium has it by the way, not yeah. just Guido. But what ended up happening, and if you noticed, if you ever watched the cameraman during a ball game, you would see like after the third out when they go to a commercial, you would see all of them. It was in window seventy five. You see it <laughs> zooming right in, and now every camera was zoomed in on that window, and, and you can hear guys in general tape <laughs> yeah, so there'd be a bit of a compilation there but uh, we had so many fun fun times at the dome and, yeah quite and, a memory i mean that's incredible like, uh, that, when i heard that, that story oh that's we got and just 
things like from picking the songs for the players when they came up to bat. Uh, you know, I started that in the 80, or not 89 with the Argos, but in 90 specifically, I thought like each of these, I'm thinking WWF. I'm yeah. thinking wrestling. Every wrestler had his theme. And you would, t- sorry to interrupt, but you you go, go go to all the events, right? You'd have a an open door to concerts, anything, right? Concerts, the- I was the house lights guy because where the intercom was set up, it was going through our audio booth. So they just brought the lighting uh, thing for Skydome and right. put it in where Murray would normally sit. Yeah. And I would and I would wire up the headsets for all the follow spot operators and the lighting director. So when the concert was about to start, I'd have my headphones on, headset on, and the lighting house. Are you ready? Yep, ready. Okay, we're gonna go in three, two, one. House lights go, and I turned the lights off. Well, the minute I turned the lights off, wah, crowd goes completely bananas, yeah, yeah, yeah. and boom, the band starts. What's your favorite uh, band that uh, oh, that played you got to see? Wow, saw them all. I really, really enjoyed Stevie Ray Vaughan there because you had Jeff Healy opening, then Jeff Beck, and then uh, and then Stevie Ray, and then Stevie Ray passed a couple of weeks after that. Oh man! So and that was a great show. But yeah, did you meet? Did did you get an opportunity backstage anytime? Did you? I I have a good one. Uh, We did a couple of oldie shows, and this one oldie show we had Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees. Ah. And I was around, I was bombing backstage in the golf cart and I saw him. And he goes, Can you give me a ride to the stage? I go, Sure. So here I am, bombing around the back of Sky to with Mickey Dolan's. I go, Mickey, man, I'm a big fan. I like, you know, I remember. He's an author now. Is he? Yeah, yeah, children's books. You're kidding. No, one of my favorite that I would read to my son, my wife and I, Gacky Feet. Gacky? Yeah, was the name of the child's book. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gacky Feet. It was really, really. I mean, he's a children's author uh, now and just beautiful, just beautiful. And Monkees fan. I'm a Monkees fan. Me too. And and I still remember this. I remember the episode. It's it's etched in my brain. And I said to him, I go, Mickey, the song went like this. He goes, yeah, I'm down. I go, yeah, I'm down. I go, great, great. So he goes, I'm playing it tonight. I go, are you really? He goes, yeah. Well, he goes, what's your name? I go, Nick. He goes, okay. And I remember in the show, let's go around my buddy Nick. I go, oh. oh I yeah, I remember that. that I went to sleep. That oh, was, yeah. for me was like great top ten. Um, being an Aerosmith fan, like yeah. uh, I think the bands that I were was in growing up, we did a lot of Aerosmith uh, songs. <laughs> and um, when they played the dome, they needed a couple of microphones because uh, they were recording the audience, or they were recording the show, but they needed a couple audience mics. So I lent them a couple of mics, and in doing so, I ended up like you know the stage was all set up, and I think it was the um, I can't remember exactly the push tour. Or, anyway, they had Toronto written on the the, the background. Like, mm-hmm. like what we have at City Hall right now. Mm-hmm. That's what okay. they had on stage. Yeah. And they did that for every city they were in. And I said, you know what? I'm going to walk on the stage. Stroll down the stage, looked around, didn't have anybody go, get off the stage! Oh. <laughs> None of that, you know? I go, this is so cool. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. But then, and now here again, watch out what you think for, right? Um, when the Jays won their first World Series, the uh, uh, the game where Alomar hit the big home run in Oakland. Okay. 
I had a, a record rep from MCA, and she had gotten a Oakland newspaper with Alomar on the front, and she had given it to me the following season and said, listen, can you, do you think you can get him to sign it? I said, sure, no problem. And I just left it there on top of my mixing board, unfortunately, like for a couple of months. You know, the time just kept going. I just never got around to it. So finally, I asked uh, a friend of mine in the marketing department. I said, Rick, do you think you can get uh, Alomar to sign this for me? He said, sure, no problem. And he went down to the dressing room, came back up. I got it. I go, great, thank you, because I'm going to be seeing them shortly, and I'd like to bring that with me. So I left it on my mixer, and I walked out of the room. Well, when I came back, it was gone. And I'm freaking out. I'm going, this person's waited so long for it, and now I've lost it? (laughs) And what had happened was a cleaning woman had come in and had cleaned up. Yeah. So now we're going through garbage bags trying to find find it, and we found it. So now um, MCA had uh, mentioned to me that because I was a big Aerosmith fan, I would always miss them when they were here because I was always working. But they were going to be in Montreal near the final days of the forum. The Bell Center was just opening up. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the last concerts they were going to have there. They said, we'll give you backstage, get to meet the band. Uh, We'll put you up in a hotel room so you can bring the kids and stuff. So like, you know, brought the whole family down to Montreal. And I have the newspaper with me, and I go side stage. I see her go, here, take this thing away from me. <laughs> but we're in the forum. So now here we are before the concert. My wife and I are, are in the, uh, I guess, the press lounge area, and it's like the Hall of Fame. There's a million stories up on the wall going right back from George Hainsworth, 1922, goaltender, 21 shutouts in, like, you know, wow. 40 games. Like a they, church. They, oh, and I'm in my glory. Yeah. And I'm looking around. And then my wife said, the band's here. And I looked around. I go, it looks like my high school buddies. I go, <laughs> I go, I'll get to them in a minute. You know, I'm still reading this. So then I'm walking around. And Steven Tyler is down on his knee. And he's signing some girl's bottom or something like that. And I walk up to him. And I go, hey, buddy, while you're down there, <laughs> he looks like gives me a wink. And he gets up. And when he stood up, like, literally, he came up right to my eyes. And I, I thought he was taller than that. Bingo. And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, now my head's starting to spin. And skin and bones. Like a rail, yeah. right? And, and I'm thinking, oh, um, when I went to see them during the Rocks tour in 78 in Buffalo, I kind of looked like him. So I had Yeah, I saw, I'm sorry, I've seen some <laughs> of your social media posts. Yeah, the super mullet. You look like a rock star. And so when I, if I put sunglasses on and stuck my lips out a bit, yeah. I kind of look like him. So we're in Buffalo and I'm walking down and I hear people saying, hey, there he is. And then, oh, no, no, that's not him. That's not him. I go, my beak's a little bit bigger. Um, so I didn't think he was that short. I always thought he was tall. I go, wow, these people are nuts. Then I realized, well, wait a minute. Now I understand because... Funny story, we get to, I'm driving a Pacer, 76 AMC Pacer. <laughs> I've got four buddies with me and one fella, Steve. Everybody has one of these friends. Uh, just bring me along. I'm not going to the show, but uh, just give me a ride. I have family near Welland. Okay, well, I'll stop in Welland, drop you off, and we'll go to the show. Pick them up on the way back. <laughs> yeah, not even. It's like, okay, I said hi. Let's go to the show. I go, well, you don't have a ticket. How are you getting in? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. Have you ever had a buddy that just doesn't talk? 
It just giggles. This is my buddy back in Ottawa, Johnny Stevens, giggling. <laughs> that's all, that's all. Everybody be chatting, talking. Johnny, what'd you think? But the funny thing, Steve ended up, he's a master of, uh, of Gab, and he ended up getting a backstage pass. So at the end of the concert, we're all walking out. We meet him in the front. He goes, he goes, nah, 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 nah. I go, give me that. And I rip it off him. I put it on. I go, let's go. So we go back to backstage. And now we're waiting outside. There's a few groupies there. And then and the dressing room door is there. And we're sitting there waiting, waiting. And now my buddies are waiting in my car, waiting to go home. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there, standing there. I said, I said, almost enough is enough. Well, every band member came out except Tyler, and everyone did a double take. They walked on to, <laughs> and then just kept going. And I finally turned to my buddy Steve and go, Steve, I've had enough. Let's go. Like the guys are probably going to freak out and stuff. Yeah. So as I'm walking, I'm walking down a, a drive, and at the end of the drive was a, the limousine for him. Well, the limo driver got out and opened the door for me. And I'm sitting there going, do I go in? Do I? Don't I? Do I? Don't I? And it was the biggest dilemma I've ever faced in my life. I'm going, if I go in there and end up at the after party, <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? Uh, oh, yeah. You said, come on in. I'm a stunt double. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a stunt double. I'm waiting for him now. But see how things go. Like, I didn't realize he was short. And now I put two two together. Now I recognized why everybody else was, like, looking at me, thinking, oh, this guy. Wow. And then Joe Perry, uh, I had taken pictures of him at the Alma Combo when he was, uh, I guess, uh, doing his solo thing, the Joe Perry Project. Mm-hmm. And then the next night, I hear on the radio. Was that prior? Uh, Aerosmith? No, that was... In the middle, it's when he had his first breakup with the band. They broke. Yeah. So he went on and did his solo thing. And I took maybe about 100, 200 pictures, uh, but in the film days, not your uh, phone days. Like, you know, roll up the film, take another one. And you've kept them all, eh? Like your social media posting from way back. It's really cool. I've got a few. Uh, So I find out he's playing the next night in Burlington at a Chinese food restaurant. And I'm going, really? So I phoned up, remember CFNY? You may not because you're from Ottawa, mm-hmm. but CFNY was our new wave station. They were playing like the Spoons and Flock of Seagulls and that kind of new age, new wave stuff. Now, did, you, did you live in Toronto during that era, Nick, or have you always been in, mm-hmm. are you always been in Alliston? Like, mm-hmm. how was your, how was, how did you get to Alliston? I'm, I'm sorry to. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I got born and raised in Toronto, and at uh, 10, we moved up to North York. So we were Finch and Victoria Park area, went to school to Sir Johnny McDonald, had a lot of famous people come out of there as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, I got married, moved to Scarborough for a year or so, and then we moved to Mississauga. And we were in Mississauga for uh, a good 15 years, and then we've been in Alliston now for the last 15 as well. And so. what brought you to Alliston, like? Um, and, and, and I love saying that because this town rocks. Is, okay, you know it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. So <laughs> I, right. I always like asking my ass, you know, what brought you to Alliston, right? Okay, a, we were looking for a home actually in Orangeville first, and then we thought, okay, not Orangeville. Let's try Shelburne because my wife's parents had a place in Shelburne in the past, what we called the cottage, 
that we would always go up to. So we were familiar with Shelburne and stuff. And when we had sold our house in Mississauga, it sold in three days. And it kind of like caught us off guard. And we had a middle of a month closing. Yeah. Which was, again, unusual. So we started looking around, looking, looking. And it's now February, and we still haven't found a place. And my wife kept saying, anything but Allison. I don't want to go to Allison. No, really? Yeah, yeah. she kept saying that. Because we would go to Allison, to the Dairy Queen. That yeah. was our stop, you know? Yeah. So we really didn't venture into it too much. But she says, no, I don't want to be in Allison. Well, when we started looking, our real estate agent, he said, uh, okay, listen, I know this place is in Alston. But give it a shot. They're open on the closing, and you've got, like, less than a month. You've got, like, three weeks to make a decision. So, like, you know, yeah, yeah. you should take a look at this. And I said, okay. And it happened to be on the street that was the same name as my granddaughter. I go, okay, that's funny. So we bring her in. We went, took a look at the house. She went upstairs. And one of the bedrooms was painted in this, like, Peter Pan kind of scenery, like a very nice forestry and stuff. Like, she goes, this is my room. You know, so much for the negotiating part with the house. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That. So then we just said, yeah, fine, we got it. But it, well, there was about three or four feet of snow out there, so we really didn't know what we bought. So mid-March we moved in, and as it started to thaw out, we went, oh, wow, we got a shed in the back. Oh, we got a hot tub. And all of a sudden we're feeling very at home, and there was a, a sense of peace with it. And then I... Ended up, we went to a couple of garage sales. And as you know, yeah. uh, garage sales in Alston is like the number one pastime in the summer. Like mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, if you're not out by 7 o'clock in the morning, forget it. Like all the good stuff's gone. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so we went to a, a garage sale where I met uh, Hart Holmstrom. And Hart was... Uh, I'd love to have him on the show. Oh, he's so oh, he's much great. Stories. Oh, he's great. Just and, another piece of the fabric of, of, of Alliston, right? Well, and fa- it's funny you should mention fabric because we were looking at the fabric. Him and his wife. Oh. Both. Like, just Marilyn. Forget about it. <laughs> She's the best. Yeah. So we ended up talking. I think I have to ask Marilyn. You do. If you I, have to get them both in here. Yeah, but yeah. I have to ask Marilyn to get Hart, I think, right? Hart, I didn't mean that, but. <laughs> Most definitely. Absolutely. Don't bring Marilyn on. Don't bring Hart on. Bring Marilyn. She's got better stories. <laughs> no, I, I, just, uh, just philanthropists and giving back and they're just tied and yeah. webbed into the fabric of Allison. I've heard so many great things about well, when I was him. And know him, you know. Yeah, he's a great guy. And when I told him what I did, he goes, well, maybe you can help us out with our facility. I'm thinking that he's talking about maybe a church or something along that lines. I wasn't thinking the Gibson Center yeah, because right. it hadn't opened yet. And speaking of the Gibson Center, I do have a taping uh, with uh, Jennifer um, uh, on the Gibson Center. And she talks extensively on the history and uh, including yeah. the Holmstrom's and big part. And he was. And, and when he asked me to help out and I thought it was the Gibson Center, I said, oh, great. So I was doing lighting and sound for them for the first little while, getting it all going. But Hart was the one who got me involved with the Lions Club. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Allison Lions Club, and that's where you started to learn about the community and the history and what have you. And that, and the Allison Lions had been doing so many good things through all the years and stuff. And I, it, it was a great way to meet the movers and shakers of the town. And then from that, I ended up... Uh, with our mayor, Rick, mm-hmm. ended up being part of the Potato Festival Committee. Mm-hmm. And then I took care of all the entertainment that was going on. Yeah, you're heavily involved. Uh, the Potato Fest, the, the, it's going to be canceled again this year. 
Unfortunately, you know, I hope not, but I, I think heard, so. I heard that. Yeah. Too. Um, Nick here is just responsible for all the music and all those great rock bands and rock cover bands and, yeah. and themes and everything. You, you're it, right into it, right? <laughs> that ACDC oh, they band were good. Yeah. on the last Potato Fest, right? Were they on the last one? Yeah, the last one. They've, been, they've been a couple of times. Wow, they were good. Yeah. Uh, actually, Eva, who's Rick's wife, yeah. um, that was her favorite band. She really enjoyed the guys in the band. And, you know, good. you know, good. I think of Eva doing, like, you know, uh, the <laughs> Highland dancing and stuff like that, but she was really rocking, rocking out the ACDC. Yeah. yeah, but the the beauty of it was is because of my involvement in the industry, yeah. um, and the fact that we really didn't have big budgets yeah. <laughs> to yeah. bring in some real A listed entertainment. I still would be able to get some good guys in there. Yeah, great cover. I think I had the Carpet Frogs in there the first year, and the Carpet Frogs are Burton Cummings band. And the bass player, Jeff Jones, Jonesy would hang out with me at Skydome. Mm -hmm. And Jonesy is also the bass player of Tom Cochran and mm -hmm. uh, Red Ryder doing mm -hmm. yeah, Life yeah, is yeah. a Highway. And, yeah, stuff. Yeah. and so, and then Nick Sinopoli, their singer, he was in a band in Toronto called Just Alice and Alice Cooper tribute band that we would see in the clubs. Yeah. Uh, all the players were like top notch players and they came on and I thought, okay, that's a good barometer to try and meet every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we started doing. I, it, basically, it was the Friends Network. Yeah. Hey, yeah. guys, what are you doing this weekend? You know, I haven't seen you in a few years. Why don't you come up and play? And so as they're setting up, I'm on stage. I'm DJing, and I'm playing all the music in between sets. Right, right. And in the meantime, talking to all my friends that I haven't seen in a long time as well. So you immersed yourself in right away into the Alliston community, right? Yeah, And, and, pretty and much. It, it's pretty tough not to do it. Like, you know, Alliston and New Tech, there's something about it that just – you know, there's this post I put up. Um, it is really cool. I put it up because of this quote. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you spend, it's most likely that you spend half your life trying to get out of a small town and the other half trying to get back in. Yeah. If I had known what Allison was all about, I would have been up here like 30, 40 years I'm, ago. I'm, me too. Yeah. In me a heartbeat. Too. Yeah. Uh, me too. And uh, great community. Um, great place to raise a family. Yeah. And just some great people and talented people. Like, oh, just some really great talent. You've got just characters really, here. Man. Oh, man, and there, there's something about the individuality of the characters in this town that just makes it so. Uh, and the history. Oh, it's, it's you, you know where our, our city hall is right now, yeah, right down. Yeah. That used to be an opera house back in the 1900s, and it no. got burned down. Yeah, burned down opera house. You I know had what, no idea. Nick, you know what I heard the other day, and it came up in a topic. Were you were you here when that Mexican restaurant was there by Zares in the plaza where apparently they had the best music and entertainment live coming into town and, and well-known entertainment? Really? Yeah. yeah. No. I heard it was the, the lady that owned details that just shut down. She had oh, – was it Sherry? Yeah, she sure. had she had like this this Mexican really yeah oh, right where cool right where um, Subway is oh in that part okay right there where Subway is there was a Mexican restaurant there sometime oh. whoever knows about this just message me. yeah I'd love to hear about that but I hear it was just like crazy like great talent coming into town and that was on top of Lou Biffis's <laughs> talent themed you know not <laughs> you know, <laughs> naughty bringing in naughty yeah, bringing all the boys in the naughty. 
and everybody knew Allison from the Nautilusaga. So the minute you said, "Oh, I'm in Allison on Nautilusaga," yeah, uh, it's close. <laughs> he, you know, he, he he played a big part in putting Allison on the map. Yeah, you know, Honda obviously, but I think he played a big part. Not so much for me with Honda because when we moved in, a friend of mine said, "So you're near the Honda plant?" I go, "I am." I had no idea it was right in our backyard practically. Crazy. They keep it quiet. Keep well, it quiet. I had no idea. Except yeah. when the shift changed. It's a lot of traffic. Yeah, the well, it's the, what, the Indy 500 yeah. for five minutes. Coming in. Yeah. Coming out. Right? 7 o'clock, 3 o'clock, yeah. rush hour, rush minute. So, anyways, uh, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, you know, on your background and, 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 and everything, I also know you were involved uh, with the Colts, too. Like, you just continued yeah. this this audio musical yeah, I guess uh, you love could, that you had, right? You could say I kind of started specializing in sports music. Yeah. So I've been involved with pretty much every professional team in Toronto and the junior teams as well. So I spent 10 seasons with the Oshawa Generals, five with the Barry Colts. I did the – this is a, a good trivia question. I was the first audio guy with the Mississauga Ice Dogs. Oh, really? Don Cherry. How would you do them all? Oh, not, well, not at the same time. Uh, right? The Colts and Oshawa did it at the same time. And that was kind of tricky, but their home games and stuff, uh, the Colts were uh, Saturdays and Thursdays, and the Jennies were Fridays and Sundays. Oh, so you made it work. You were gone. Like, well, I didn't have to go necessarily to Oshawa anymore, because with Oshawa, I was looking after their video elements for oh, their score. Okay. All right. So I would create their elements, and I would send it to them. With the uh, Barry Colts, I not only created all the, the visuals. You were there, the announcer. Oh, yeah, it was. I did the audio for it as well. So that was, to tell you the truth, that was the most fun I had doing sports music because there was only three of us. There was a spotter, uh, myself, and the PA announcer, Daryl. Yeah. And the three of us, it was like a three-piece jazz band. You know, we would be able to improvise and go here and go there. And because I created all the elements, I knew exactly where everything was. So yeah. if we needed a visual of this, that, or the other, I would have it, and audio-wise as well. So being able to look after all aspects of the entertainment of a sporting team really, really got me going. That, that really stoked the fire in me. And after five years of doing that, um, it was time to move on. Yeah. But I had done, like, literally, oh, so going back to the Ice Dogs, did the first season of the Ice Dogs? Sherry, Sherry had a part in that. Did, did she? Uh, Don Sherry. No, oh, Don. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He owned the team okay, at first. Okay, okay. Yeah, he was the only guy who's ever fired me. And okay. it was funny because I didn't even know. But after the first season, my, I'm working with an animation company in Toronto, and uh, my wife calls and says, "Just got this letter for you from Don Cherry." I go, "Well, open it up." And she goes, well, "There's only there's two postcards in it." I go, really? It's like him and his dog, Blue. And he signed them both, two neck, you know. I go, well, I don't know what that's about. She goes, oh, wait a minute. He wrote on the back of one. <laughs> and on the back, it was basically, you know, uh, thanks for your work this year. You were great. However, we're going in another direction and we won't need your services. And I go, another direction? They only won one game. I go, well, <laughs> you have no choice but to go in another direction. Yeah. But what it ended up happening was, like, I really wasn't charging them a lot of money. Because I literally live less than five minutes from the arena in Mississauga. So mm -hmm. for me, it was to hang out with my buddy Bruce Barker, who was a PA announcer. 
to hang out with Don as well and, yeah. and stuff. But it was close. And I felt community uh, oriented at that time too, uh, with the northern part of Mississauga. And I just wanted to do my part. So he was able to find junior hockey's not a big money maker. Yeah. By no stretch. Yeah. So he was able to find a friend of mine. Uh, to do the audio, and he, he ended up doing it for far less than what I got paid. But in the meantime, I didn't get upset because I went to a buddy, but I couldn't figure out why he let me go. So then I realized it was a money issue, and I thought, okay, no problem. By the end of that, of the last year of the Mississauga St. Mike's Majors, I was called in to help out because they were going to get the Memorial Cup or some big event there. <clears throat> so I ended up going there, and the team that was doing all the production at the time said, oh, my God, you know what you're doing. Okay, we want you for the next season as well. So I did the last season of St. Mike's Majors, mm -hmm. and then the following year they got bought out by another uh, fellow, and the city all of a sudden didn't have anything else to do with them. But they still had six games left into the Mississauga, what do they call them? Steelheads or something like that. Now. Yeah. So I did the first six games of the Steelheads, mm -hmm. and then was let go because the the town, uh, the city wasn't looking after it anymore. So that's when I started with Barry. Um, but it was kind of funny that I did the first Ice Dog, the last major, and the first couple of games of the Steelheads in Mississauga. Mm -hmm. uh, but the beauty of all these, uh, being involved with all these things, I did like you know four seasons with the Toronto Rock lacrosse team. Uh, I got called back. And That's a tough sport. That's a great sport. Oh, my God. Did God. I fall in love with that? Here's another clock. Here I'm thinking, they said, well, it's like basketball. There's a 30-second shot clock, uh, but we want music played all the time. Like, go, go, go. You only stop when there's a penalty. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I really don't like stepping on the game because I like to watch the game. But these guys wanted to go like whole hog and do it, like, you know, go crazy, like make it exciting. So the first game, I cut every song to 30 seconds thinking it's a shot. Well, I didn't realize that after 30 seconds and they get the rebound, the clock restarts. Yeah. So now I'm like, so after that game, the owner, Brad Waters, called me and he said, why you keep cutting the songs off? I go, well, because I had already cut them to 30 seconds each. He goes, no, just let them play. So now I have to go back and redo everything again. And then I got into the flow of how to do it. Like yeah, we yeah. had the ball, the music was a little bit more aggressive. When the visiting team had the ball, I kind of played it back a bit. So I would kind of go with the flow. And uh, we ended up winning so many championships. But that was really the first time. I asked for a ring. And I said, you know what? We've won World Series before. I never got a ring. We did one great cups before. I never got a ring. So now I'm stipulating, if you want me to work for you, if we win, I get a ring. And uh, so I got two rings with the Toronto oh, Rock. Awesome. So I said, okay, the first one is my daughter. The second one's my daughter. And then I got, that was in 2001, 2002. Then 2004, I was asked to come back to Skydome because somebody who had heard me at the Toronto Rock called and said, listen, you do the Rock's music, right? I said, yeah. Well, you seem to get it. How would you like to work with the Argos? I go, again? They go, what do you mean again? I go, well, I did the first eight seasons with them. Is this Nick? <laughs> I go, yeah. yeah. Well, do you want the gig or not? Yeah. And I said, let me think about it. And I go, well, the Argos hold a, a 
a warm place in my heart because my wife and I got married before an Argo game at Skydome in 91. Oh. And, uh, it was November 3rd, 91. No. Most of my guests were working in the Jumbotron at the time. Yeah. Um, the Jumbo, uh, the Skydome had provided the hotel for us. They'd given, there was so much going on for our wedding. It was ridiculous, but it was great. Yeah. So I had that warmth and the affection with the, uh, the Argos at the time. And I said, okay, I'll do it under one condition. If we win the Grey Cup this time, I want a ring. And they said, oh, no, we're not going to win. I go, we're not even going to make the playoffs. I said, if we're going to win, if I'm here, we're going to win. And if we win, we're going to get it. I want a ring. Um, Keith Pelly was now the president of uh, the Argos. And it's a funny story. Keith used to be the president of TSN. And prior to that, he had worked a whole bunch of other jobs. One of them was assisting doing the music at Exhibition Stadium for Blue Jay games. <laughs> so we had this kind of kindred spirit and stuff, and and I got along great with it. Yeah. And right in 2004, Argos win the Grey Cup, and I, I swear that as soon as that gun went off, I sent that email to them so fast. I'm a size nine and a half. Boom. <laughs> and I got my great cup ring. Awesome. So I said, okay, my great cup ring, that goes now to my granddaughter. Well, I have now a grandson. And I go, oh, she's going to need another ring. And lo and behold, got another ring with the Oshawa Generals with the Memorial Cup. So now I've got myself the championship rings to go to uh, my my kids and grandkids and stuff. So I'm yeah. happy so long as nobody has any more kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah. But at that, but you know, back when I was working with the Jays, my wife was also well, I was at Skydom, my wife was working for the Blue Jays. Yeah. And she was in the ticket department. So the beauty of it was that she got a pair of tickets for every game. That was one of her perks. Well, because of that every record company that would call me and say, I have this artist in town. They wouldn't mind coming down and watching the game. What can you do for us? Like, oh, there's a pair of tickets for you at the will call, you know, and yeah. just go, just tell them who you are, show them ID, and away you go. And because I knew what artist was going to be sitting there, during the fifth inning field crew cleanup, we had about 15 to 20 seconds after that. I would always play one of their songs and I would tell the guys in the Jumbotron exactly where they were sitting. So when they came out of commercial, that song's playing and they're up on the Jumbotron. And a lot of times they'll wave and what have yeah, you. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, a week or two later, I get an eight by 10 picture from them saying, thank you thank very you. much for the play. Uh -huh. and stuff. Like we're like Blackie Lawless from Wasp. <laughs> you know, I go, what that, that is strange, strange. That one band, an amazing band, and if somebody ever gets a chance to listen to them, band called Thunder. They're from the UK, and they came down. Uh, two of the members were here, and it was a crazy Sunday. I remember because the president of Shoppers Drug Mart was there, the president of Revlon was there, who became really good friends with me, and then the the guys from Capital had brought these fellows in. So like, my booth was now like a revolving door. It's like, you know, hey, how you doing? Hey, how? the guy from Shoppers, the president, or he goes, listen, it's my son's birthday today. Can you get his name up on the Jumbotron? I said, yeah, buddy, yeah, yeah, I need some notes. He goes, let's see how good you are. I go, oh, don't challenge me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just walk in and joke, add this name to the list. Okay, done. Yeah. So he sees his kid's name on there, click, the picture's taken, and, and Funny thing is, is the Blue Jays would always take a picture of the person's name on the Jumbotron and then gift that person that picture. 
Well, when this picture came up, it's like, who's this guy? You know, and they, Nick, who's this guy? I go, well, he's the son of the president of the shoppers. Well, make sure he gets it. Okay, taken care of. Yeah. Well, now here's Revlon. And now I got these two band guys, and I'm sitting there going, Hi, here, here's the president of Revlon. Here's the president of the shoppers. Now, you know, come over here. Here's my booth. Dun, 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 dun. You know, and here, it's autograph this and sign it. Well, I go and listen to that album on the way home. And it's it's still my top ten all time favorite albums. What was the name, man? The band's called uh, Thunder, and the the album is uh, on Judgment Day, and just a great great rock band. Okay, yeah. awesome. Now, again, moving on to how you <laughs> pivot and evolve. You know, I keep on seeing popping up, and I've I've never spoken to you about it, and it's just so fascinating. Robotics. You're in friggin' robotics. First robotics, yeah. What? First robotics, yeah. AI stuff, Elon Musk stuff. Like, yeah, or, or Dean Kamen. Dean Kamen is the person who started uh, First Robotics in New Hampshire mm-hmm. about 25, 30 years ago, something. I've been with the organization for 20 years. This is my 20th year with them. And it is, I guess they classify it like the Super Bowl for nerds. Um, and 20 years ago when I did it, uh, there was only one event in Canada at the time and it was fabulous. I, I got in there and I'm looking around and going, okay, sports. Uh, great. And what do they do? Is that, is that that arena where these robots fight each other or is it robotics for manufacturing? No, 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 no. It, it's, it's a competition. Every year the game is different. Uh, so you can't really, uh, plan that far in advance. Actually, the beginning of January, uh, from NASA in the States, they revealed the game. So it's a big okay. celebration, you know, okay. and it's worldwide. People from around the world tune in. Uh, and we have teams literally from around the world. And there's, I think there's three or four divisions. There's Junior Lego League, Lego League, the first tech challenge, and the uh, first robotics competitions. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically what it is, is that these kids have to, um, develop a robot in six weeks that can participate in that game for that year. The first 15 seconds, the robot has to be autonomous, so nobody touches it. And then after the 15 seconds, they get on their joysticks and, and start playing the game. It's based on alliances. So it's three teams against three teams. So it's a blue alliance against the red alliance. And then these teams go into, um, and we'll play each other so many times and what have you. And, and, what's, and what's the game though? Like when they're playing? Well, this year, uh, the game, well, there's different games. Each league has a different game and different, uh, I guess different structures to it. Um, one year was like a frisbee tossing type thing where they have to try and get these robots to throw frisbees. Uh, this past year, we got called off after about two weeks in. The third week, we were ready to go to Carleton University in Ottawa, oh, there you go. and that weekend got canceled. That's when everything stopped. But uh, the, uh, there's there are basically challenges and stuff. So, and the, one of the things with this year was the, the final part of the game. The robot had to grab onto a bar and hang itself. So there was hanging points and things like that. Uh, there's so many intricacies in, in each season, each game. Um, and that's what makes it exciting for me. But the games are two minutes and 30 seconds long. And you'll go through an entire day, day and a half, uh, regulating where the teams will finish. Yeah. Then you have your playoffs. Then you have your finals. Um, when each regional, when there's a champion crowned, 
these champions now will go to the world championships in the States. And I'm now responsible for the music for the worlds. Oh, so they sent me okay. down, uh, in the past, they've sent me down to Houston and St. Louis and Detroit. Well, at first it was just St. Louis. And then it got so big that they had to uh, cut it in half. So the southern hemisphere of the world would meet in Houston. And the week later, the northern hemisphere roughly would meet in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And I would be down there for four or five days playing music and then going into, like, we're going into Minute Maid Park. We're going into Ford Field. We're filling it with 40, 50,000 kids. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. And they're doing their championships. And now we've got, like, major, major sponsorship. Like, Disney and Star Wars is sponsoring the last few years. So you get Mark Hammond up there doing his you know, talk with kids and and it really brings out not only the camaraderie between the kids and stuff and the fellow networking that happens from it, because these kids are so involved with it. And it's such a great community that it goes on past high school. It goes on to other. I remember one of my first years doing it, there were people from Bruce Power Plant waiting in the in the crowd that the time that the team that won, they came down and handed these kids jobs, you know, and, and it's like farm, the, the, the robotics is like a farm system for a lot of companies uh, in a lot of different fields, not just robotics, but being able to come up with a solution in six weeks. These kids have six weeks to figure out these computers and they're like, they're geared for it. So the AI element is there. It's getting there. It's getting there. From the when the games were started 20, 30, 20 years ago, fifteen years ago, they were still kind of um, mechanical. Mm -hmm. Where it has gone to now, and what these robots can do now, what these kids are programming them to do, it's mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. And and you look at and you look at the kids in the Lego League coming up with world-class solutions for. I, my, it just blows me away. There was a, a team from Turkey that we were in, in Houston and I'm walking around and they, when you get there, it's like a convention center as well. So you also have teams that have their own booths mm -hmm. and then you walk around and you meet teams from around the world. But this one team, and, and you know, I think they were Turkish. These kids had developed a way to try and find people who have been buried in a rubble during an earthquake. Mm -hmm. They've, they came up with a solution of how to do it. I go, they're seven years old. <laughs> and they're coming, and I think last year was something that had to do with water or what have you, but they're coming up with these great, great solutions. And their, their wheels are, are turning at a, such a phenomenal rate that I, I'm a curious person to begin with. Yeah, and I'm totally blown away with what these kids can do. Well, AI and, and, and robotics and all that area, I mean, the maturity rate of that is incredible. So these next generations, my son and yes. so forth, I I mean, this is going to be primitive, right? I mean, uh, AI, they're talking about wireless communication between humans now. Yeah. You know, they're, they're experimenting on that, little chips yeah. up here in the brain. and Which is know, scary. Yeah. <laughs> and, and finding a way to communicate without talking, you know? Yeah, which is scary. Yeah, which is scary. <laughs> this would be a terrible show. Yeah. This, we'd be, this we'd, would be. Put the subtitles underneath. <laughs> That's what we're thinking about, back and forth, back and forth. 
Um, um, awesome. Listen, we're coming to the end of the show, but oh, wow. um, I didn't even get to talk to you about my famous players day, the uh, programming, uh, everything at theaters for oh, about eight God. years. I was a ticket taker. Were you? Yeah. My first job. Wow. Britannia drive-in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was drive-in with indoor theaters. Yeah. So, yeah. I got had that blue jacket. The, the blue <laughs> and, the, and, and the, uh, the flashlight and the flashlight. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. yeah, I did the Cineplex or the uh, I guess it was a Paramount in Toronto and Montreal. At now, what did you do there? At first, they just wanted me to play music, and then the company that I was with at the time um, also started doing a lot of animations. So for the concession stands and stuff, well, let's go to the lobby and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then uh, I ended up doing editing, video editing. So they brought in an Avid, uh, which was an editing. Uh, did you do the, you know, the drive in the hot dog? No, I didn't I do that. Jumping through the hoop. <laughs> no, those guys. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wish I did. <laughs> that's, that's an epic. It like, is. It's, it's the same. Great. It's the same one. The mustard and the Let's hot dog. Let's go to the lobby. Let's go. A little hot dog, and then the hot dog jumps in the yeah, bun. In the bun, yeah. And then Mr. Ketchup comes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. A but I was looking after all the video stuff on, on their walls, and, and at that time, plasma screens were just coming out, and so I was programming those. I was getting into editing and what have you, and, um, and like I said, uh, it, the people that you meet along the way, if they find you a decent person to work with, chances are they'll take you to the next level as well. And the vice president of marketing at uh, Famous Players at the time, a fellow named Stuart Pollock, an amazing, amazing person. Well, when Stuart left Famous Players, he went to Microsoft, the, the Xbox. Well, guess who started doing videos for Xbox and Microsoft? And then after that, he's gone on to do some uh, great things with licensing and stuff. He's president of Siegel Licensing now. And because of, and here's where I'm getting into where I get to now, about people, Stuart wanted me to do a video for his kids who were having a bar mitzvah. And so I created this video. They were twins, uh, great kids. And uh, after I did the, the video and stuff, Stuart had a great time. And uh, it, it was the talk of the town for the longest time. And then one day, uh, I guess it was right after I left the, the uh, Barry Colts, uh, looking on, uh, on Facebook or something, and it says, Stuart likes the Megan boys. What's this Megan boys stuff you're talking about? So I click on it and I go, oh, it's an entertainment company. Oh, it's where Stuart had his bar mitzvah. So I called him up and I said, hey, guys, uh, here, listen, this is what I do. Um, why don't I try and bring the entertainment, the sports show to a bar mitzvah? I go, because you're using large, big screens now. And I go, I entertain people with the big jumbotrons. I go, these are like mini jumbotrons, like mini shrimp, doesn't make sense, but yeah. a mini jumbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, how can I help you? And they thought, well, we're trying to get into more of this. And that's how I ended up now doing bar mitzvahs with the Megan boys. And with them, it's the most challenging work I've ever had because I literally have less than a week to come up with a look and a show. And they go, here's the logo, here are the colors, go. And then I'm a VJ, so basically, I, I should just change, I should be a file jockey, <laughs> you know, enough with the audio DJ, VJ, whatever, J, and file jockey, yeah. you know, 
because that's basically what I'm doing. I'm manipulating files all day, uh, whether it's music files, graphic, video, audio, mm -hmm. what have you. Mm -hmm. um, so when I'm at a show, I'm just following what the MC is doing. You know, so they start off with a horror. Well, I got my dance uh, stuff going on, the fireworks and everything happening. Yeah. And then as the night goes on, they we do some sing-along. So I've got the bouncing ball going on <laughs> over things. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. And then at the end of the night, it's like, okay, this entire work, I would have spent an entire season with a team that you would have watched the same thing. But in the span of a night, it's gone. Yeah. And I love that. I love the fact that there's, other than the photographers and videographers that are shooting that, that it's the essence of the moment, mm -hmm. you know, that you're capturing the excitement with the colors and, and, and the sound from the, the DJs and what have you, and the, the excitement that comes with it. And the Megan boys and all the people that work with them are probably the most phenomenal people you'll ever meet. These, they get it. Yeah. They get it. And they really, they give you 200%, not this 110%. They give you 200%. They give it all. And we have dancers, we have entertainment. We've had so, and for me, these guys are right into wrestling as well. So we've done backyard wrestling uh, oh. fundraisers yeah. where we've had like Jake the Snake Roberts there. We've had uh, Sweet Daddy Seeky there. <laughs> and in fact, I still remember a Bart Mitzvah with Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes in and he's oh. got his shears. And I looked at it and I go, hey, Brutus, I think you're 13 years too late. <laughs> I think the circumstition was a long time ago. I don't <laughs> think you want to be here for that. Uh, and just... So my, I, I met the fellow who sang um, Everybody Dance Now, Gonna Sweat Now, I think it was CNC Music Factory, yeah. which I played the crap out of it at Skydome in the 90s and stuff, and, and still do at every sporting event. And he's coming on, and he's like, you know, doing his song with kids. And I pulled him over and go, listen, man, I just have to say thank you. It was when I go, I, I, I'm a sports music jock, and I go, I played your song at almost every, and he said, Oh, thank you, man. Here, here's my card. Let's stay in touch. And I'm like, I met a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Why am I meeting all these people? And it, it's been fabulous. You know, not just the, the stars and, and the celebrity part of it, but the aura that, that happens at these events, you know? Well, it's a testament, you know, as you were saying about people, it's a testament also of who you are and, yeah. and what you're doing yeah. and, and your accountability and, and your passion and bingo word there, you know, and, del and delivering, uh, honesty, everything together. And, and, you know, relating to what you were saying about people, I'm exactly in, in the same mindset. Like there's something about a magnetism between certain people that just attract each other, whether yeah. it's a customer, whether it's a partner, whether it's a friend, yeah. that, you know, the positive energy and that magnetism, they attract. It does. Right? It's, it's just, just contagious, it, too. And, and it's, yeah, and it's just around and it, and, and it attracts. And you seem to surround yourself. Um, as, as I get older, I had to pluck the garden for a while. <laughs> get, rid of, get rid of a few weeds. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, you generally, uh, you know, and some do it quicker than others, but at least in my lifespan up to date, that uh, the garden is, is growing some really nice flowers now. So great, yeah. great company, I keep. Yeah, it's, it's really important. And I think for myself, too, it's, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've been very lucky. But I've also learned not to say no. Mm -hmm. So when a challenge arises, it's best to hit it dead on 
and just go for it. So when people say, uh, can you do this? Yep. And then I figure it out and I can do it. Because one of the great things that I learned, uh, and I, I keep stop, trying, I've got to stop you, sir. It reminds me of my dad. My dad, <laughs> my, 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 dad my dad would say, my dad would say, you know, about the art of sales, right? Donnie, 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 always, always take a jog. Yeah. I said, Dad, what about if I don't know what to do? What about if I don't know how to do it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Take it. Take it, okay? And if you screw it up, you never get it back. <laughs> but if you don't, you go. You learn something. That's so right. you just go, right? Yeah, so, it's so true. Like, never in my wildest dreams would I or anybody even look at me and think that I am a certified sewer pipe layer. Because when I was working the line at Chrysler, another another one on the rescue. Oh, just like these are left. I, I honestly audio and sewer and sewers like hey, laying pipe all night long. <laughs> you know, the, and the funny thing was, I I took the course because uh, I was laid off from Chrysler on working the line, and I thought, well, just keep educating myself, get something. And I go, uh, well, I was doing construction in the past. I did curbs and sidewalks, and I thought. Well, okay, this doesn't seem too difficult. It's something that, like something that I hang my hat on. Right. So I took a six-week course, and as soon as that course finished on the Friday, I it ended at noon. I was home by two o'clock. I got a call from Condrain. Condrain being one of the biggest, big, like, big boys. huge, huge. You start Monday. Where here they give me the location. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You start Monday. This is what you're starting. Right. And how much do I make? It you doesn't start matter. Monday. You start Monday. <laughs> so I get there the Monday and everything, and uh, it was the shortest career I've ever had in my life because when that you go now, <laughs> yeah. you go now. It wasn't. It wasn't even that. It was like I, they tell you in school. You know, you're 30 feet down. You have this big giant bulldozer bucket, like literally a foot away from you, and you have guys say. Keep your eye on the bucket. And you're looking up and you've got the other guys going, keep your eye on the ground. you got to make sure that you got the float and, and the proper grade and everything. I'm doing this all day. And then it's lunchtime. I'm seeing these old guys going up the side of the hill like spiders. And I'm going, where's the ladder? <laughs> in case this stuff caves in, where's the ladder? So by the time I finally get to the top, 15 minutes later, I got 15 minutes for lunch. So then I finally come, get Come there. have some wine. No, me smart. Because the year before, when I was working construction, I learned if you get up early enough, you put a steak on the barbecue, cook it slow, then put it in tinfoil and leave it on the dash of your car. By the time this <laughs> lunch comes, it's so nice and hot and cooked. And these are the guys are looking at me. They're, they're eating there. They got their wine. They got their cheese and their salami. They're looking at me with steak. They're, you have steak for lunch. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm Greek. That's what I said. So as I'm leaving that day, the guys go, hey, Greek. You know, yeah? I go, how come you don't have a restaurant? I go, what a great idea. See ya. <laughs> you go now. You go now. And I left and then got a job as a garbage man and uh, or sanitation engineer and loved it. I just loved it. And the people that I worked with were excellent. But like, you know what? We had fun with it. Like when I said, just get the truck close to the bags. So as you're hanging there, you grab a bag and you whip it from behind. So you've got a little showmanship going on, right? So I was having a blast. 
and then YTV opened, and then I got started with the production things again. But, yeah, yeah. I th- I've never said no, but then the people that I've met along the way have sort of become uh, there's uh, there's a little bit of everybody, and, and I'm talking when you're entertaining fifty thousand people every night, mm-hmm. you're wondering what's going through their minds. I'm going, I I worked with every single one of you. Whether it was at, at Becker's uh, giving you your cigarettes and stuff, was it flipping hamburgers or yeah. or building your cars, and, and like I know all you people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty cool know, how we're all connected. Yeah, and they're all like you know really hardworking people. Yeah. Uh, they all have their issues. Everybody's got. Everybody is a story. Everybody is a movie. Everybody has uh, a, an adventure and, and their journey in life. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that. So in so doing, when I was like programming music, the president of Skydome, Richard Petty, he asked me, he goes, Nick, like, how do you get around doing all this and making sure everyone's happy? I go, I do it this way. I please most of the people most of the time and the rest of the people the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then that way I've got it all covered. You know, if you like country music, I'm going to guarantee you're going to hear a country song that night. You, if you like hard rock, you're going to hear some hard. And I would just tailor it and, and what have you. And that's been sort of my philosophy the whole way through, is that try to please everybody, but most of the people most of the time, and the rest of the people the rest of the time. And if you're and my yeah, joy, my right joy, on. my joy comes from seeing you happy. So I'm, that's what makes me happy. Is if you're having a good time. I've done my job, and if I've done my job, I'm going to go home with, like, you know, like like the big proud peacock, you know. But the best thing is, is that being the kind of Wizard of Oz character, of being behind the scenes, I'm still able to reap the benefits of what these celebrities do, what these athletes do, with having the anonymity of coming home and leaving the park and Mm -hmm. no one knowing who I am. Which is brilliant. <laughs> Until now, on TNT Weekly. Here we go. Nick Pulakis is music to my ears. I don't speak English. <laughs> Okie dokie, man. Listen, I hope you've had a blast here. I've had a blast, Nick. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. We want to just start scratching, man. I can keep going. <laughs> we just should have just like cracked open some wine and cut some bread and cheese. And just kept well, it going. I'll cut some cheese for you for free. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Last words, Nick? Uh, I just hope everybody who's watching and listening and stuff continue to watch and listen. I think Tony is doing a fantastic job trying to get the word out to everybody. Uh, whatever you have to say, whatever you have to, whatever you feel, what have you, Tony's uh, there to listen to you. And uh, by all means, uh, keep listening, keep watching, and uh, keep supporting this fellow. He's doing a great job. Man, music to my ears from Nick Pulakas. Awesome. Done. Subscribe and like, (laughs) all right? And when when we've got the gigs coming back, call this guy for anything you want in audio, visual, music, anything. Guy's so talented. He's my agent. Okay. (laughs) Hi. All right. See you on the next show, TNT Weekly. Over and out. Take care. Yeah. Yeah.